The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, we thank you uh, that you are our leader, that you are the one who has um, attached yourself to your people, and that you have uh, always shown that you are the one who leads your people. And what a blessed heritage to count ourselves among. We thank you for your word and the description of your faithfulness to your people. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to wrestle with difficult questions and that you would give us the faith uh, to trust you even when we haven't found the answers. We ask, God, that you would speak to us now and give us a word of hope, a word of encouragement, and a word of peace. Uh, increase our faith, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we come this morning to uh, chapters, I believe it's 24 and 25 in the E100 book. Right here. So we are in Joshua chapters 3 through 6. And this is an incredibly important moment in the history of Israel. Uh, just a really important moment. Um, they are moving into the promised land. The promised land. And so with that is a phrase that is so familiar to us that we forget that it's, um, it's not that the land was so special itself, although it was... Uh, a sort of respite from the dry and arid uh, place that they had been spending all their time in. But it was promised, uh, it was the promised land because it had been promised to them uh, many, many, many years earlier, 600 years earlier about. Uh, so it's important to see this sort of this moment in the arc of the salvation history of the people of Israel. And you remember, uh, and, we, and we talked about it, uh, weeks ago, that about 600 years earlier, God called a man named Abram uh, out of the land of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, which is uh, uh, just north of the of the uh, Red no, not the Red Sea, the Gulf, um, the Gulf there, uh, where modern day Iraq, and he um, and he called him there and said, "Go to the land I'm going to show you," and that's where he goes. And uh, he just picks up, takes his family, doesn't have any kids, but God says, I'm going to um, make you father of, of many nations. And through your line, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And your people are going to get this land, the land of Canaan. Let me, um, uh, they, and then, th so this is the moment, right? This is the moment. Let me read for you uh, Genesis chapter 15. This is where, I mean, this is early, early, early. Uh, so we remember we, we, we had Noah and we had the Tower of Babel and, and all that. And then we have Abram. And so really that's the beginning of God's... Uh, Abram was the beginning of God's uh, saving His people from, from the sin of the, of the world, their own sin. I mean, that's, we saw the brokenness of humanity and the brokenness of the relationship between God and humanity and God's uh, intervening solution beginning with Abram. And this is what he says... As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, that's Egypt, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with a great possession. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. 
and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, uh, and the, I don't know, I, can't, uh, I, w- I should have come up with something smart aleck, but I couldn't, um, couldn't do it quite fast enough. Mosquito bites. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the parasites. Um, so, the, um, so God established with Abram a covenant, right? A covenant uh, with him uh, saying, and remember the, the strangeness of that covenant where normally they, they cut all these, just how they did it, and they cut all the animals in two pieces and laid them side by side, and the lesser party walks through and says, if, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, this is what's going to happen to me. But Abram fell uh, in a deep sleep, and God in the smoking fire pot went through that and said, if you don't hold up your end of the deal, this is what happens to me, which we see on the, on the cross. But God is going to be faithful over and over again despite... <coughs> The unfaithfulness of the people, uh, they are, um, God is going to be faithful. So, this is the moment that the people have been waiting for. I'm trying to do the math. It's about 600 years. It's like, it was about 100 years, um, maybe not quite that long. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph, all of that down in Egypt, 400 years after Joseph, 40 years of wandering. So, they almost got the land. 40 years before, and they chickened out. And we didn't have that story in the E100, but remember the, the spies, 12 spies, one from the land of, uh, one from each tribe, goes into the land. 10 of the spies come back and said, there is no way we can do this. These people are too big. And Caleb and Joshua were faithful and said, we got to do this. God's calling us to it. He's, the battle belongs to the Lord. And, um, and the people say, we're not going in. And they, uh, God sends them to wander. He provides for them manna in the wilderness. And then, um, uh, but that generation, except for Caleb and Joshua, that whole generation, everybody who came out of Egypt died, and their children, that's who we're dealing with now, that we've got their children, their second generation, they're the ones who are, um, are now at the, at the bank of the Jordan, and they are not going back to the desert. Uh, I can imagine if you were born in the just in the desert and that's all you knew and you could see green uh, pastures across the river there, you're not going back to the desert. But this is still really just not more than a couple weeks after after Moses had died. The the uh, the leader, the only one that ever followed, the only human leader, the one that God spoke to face to face. We talk about the Shekinah glory and his face shone because he'd been in the. Uh, in the presence of the Lord. And he dies. Even he doesn't get to go in. And uh, God tells Joshua, as he institutes him repeatedly, we saw this last week, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Well, now's the time to be strong and courageous. Now's the time. God is faithful. That is essentially the whole Old Testament in a nutshell. Right? God is faithful. That's really, and if you think about it, 
That's your story in a nutshell. And my story in a nutshell. God is faithful. God is faithful. Sometimes following God seems totally berserker, doesn't it? It just you want me to do what? Or that's not what you know my friends want me to do, or or you know, whatever it is. Sometimes following God seems crazy and God is faithful. Sometimes we are unfaithful. I mean countless ways, right? And God is faithful. That's the story. God is faithful. In fact, God sent Jesus because God is faithful. That's why God sends. So Joshua is now the one to lead uh, the people into the promised land. Now, I can't remember if I said this uh, last week, but I think it's significant that Joshua and Jesus are the same name. We call Jesus Jesus because uh, the Greek word for Joshua is Jesus. And in fact, when you see IHS written, uh, on, embroidered, and it doesn't mean in his service, although that's a fine thing for us to think about. It means uh, uh, Iota, Eta, Sigma, which is the first three letters of Jesus. So that's, it's, it's Greek uh, right there. That's what that means. Um, Jesus is, um, but the, it translates to the name Joshua, which in Hebrew is Yeshua. So it's Yeshua in Hebrew, Jesus. Uh, in Greek. And Yeshua, Joshua, is the one who takes the people into the promised land where Moses, the lawgiver, could not. And I just, devotionally at least, I think there's some significance there. That Jesus is the one who takes us into the promised land of salvation where the law uh, could not take us. We need grace. Anyway, so I'm, I meant to, and I just got distracted this morning, I forgot, uh, I'm sorry about that. I meant to draw up a map on, on my, my easel over here. But they, they moved, so they're camping in this little town on the um, east side of the Jordan. And, um, and they are, uh, it's a little town called Shatim, or just a place, I don't know if it's much of a town, but they're Shatim. And then they moved to the edge of the Jordan and they're there for three days. And I actually put this on my Facebook uh, wall last night because I just thought it was significant. Joshua says to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And it I struck me as, uh, you know, Saturday night, I thought, man, how do we prepare ourselves for worship? Do we expect that God is going to do great things among us when we come to church on Sunday morning. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I, I sort of prepared myself for worship today by having a cocktail and watching Alabama trounce LSU. I, I, um, that, that was um, roll tide. But, um, you know, I, but then I, 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 mean, I thought about it. I do get up in the morning and have my devotions uh, before church, and I just... But I just thought, do we expect, and I've actually been thinking about this uh, a, a little bit in the past few weeks, do we expect that when we, when we come to church, that God is going to show up and do great things among us? And I think that, that a lot of times the great things that God does, He doesn't draw attention to Himself. It's not... It's not lightning striking. It's just, but it, it's just, or it sometimes it just feels ordinary. I mean, even when I've seen miraculous healings, there's not music playing. 
you know, in, in the heavens. It just, it just happens. It just almost seems natural to where you're almost, you're just thinking, wait a second, did that, did that just happen? Um, I don't know if you had something that you counted as miraculous uh, in your life, truly miraculous. Um, I, I always think about a time, and I think I've told this story before. I used to lead hikes, or go on hikes with men as um, when I lived a little closer to the mountains. And, um, and one time, there was this, uh, there was this uh, group that got uh, sidetracked. And they got, they got off their trail on the wrong trail. And there were two groups. There was the Alpha group and the Omega group. And, um, and one of the groups um, ran into this sort of just bubba. He was wearing this hat. He was, he was driving his, this pickup truck down this logging road in the, in the mountains and wearing this hat that was just bright white. And he said, uh, he, he got the guy, they stopped him and said, have you seen the guys? Did you pass some other guys up there? No, I hadn't seen anybody else. And, um, and then, and then the, um, he says, oh, no, you've actually, you're going on the foothills trail. You missed the turn. It's, it's on up here. Uh, let me get you a ride, right? And so they hop in the back of the pickup truck and head on. He's driving off, and on the back of the pickup truck, it says, and I promise this is a true story, Alpha Omega Rescuers. Oh, my God. <laughs> there was no, like, choir of angels. There was, it, it, it just was some bubba in a pickup truck, probably with a dog named, you know, Charity or something like that. But he just... Um, he, he just, uh, I mean, it, it didn't feel, it just felt like a guy driving off of his pickup truck, but all of a sudden there's this guy, that, did, did you, do you think they saw any other people driving on that logging road? Not a chance. Bright white hat, alpha, true story. So what do we expect when we come to church on Sunday? What do we expect when we go to the back of the church or we're to think, I wish, I wish that, I kind of want those people to, in the back of the church to pray for me during communion, but I, I mean, what am I going to say? Do you expect God to do great things for you? Do I expect God to do great things in preparing a sermon or preparing a class? As we're giving communion, the body and blood of Christ, do we expect God to do great things among us? Something I've been thinking about. So let me read for you Joshua uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Joshua, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, Today, so they're still, they hadn't, they hadn't crossed yet. They're, they're, this is the morning. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Remember, this is what God said. Be strong and courageous. I will be with you. As for you... Command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So he doesn't give them a lot more detail than that. Isn't that just like God? Just tell them to go stand in the Jordan. It's, by the way, 15 feet deep. Um, doesn't say what's going to happen. He just says, tell the priests they're carrying the Ark to go stand in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here. Listen to the words of, you, of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that He will drive 
that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Mosquito Bites. Uh, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. The Jordan is the barrier, right? That's, that's the boundary. They didn't have a bridge. Nobody would come and build a, a bridge, you know, button bridge over the Jordan River. They just had to, how are they going to get across? Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, uh, from each tribe a man. Now, what, what happens is they, these guys put up, um, they take stones and, uh, of remembrance. Remember, 12 men, one from each tribe, they're the ones that failed last time. Now, we get the same thing again. There's a great redemption there. But anyway, so emphasis on verse 10. This is how you will know that the God, among, God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you all those people. So tell them to pick up the ark and start walking towards the Jordan River. And then when they get to it, don't stop. Just keep going. Stand in the midst of the Jordan. And it says that the, the water stood up in a heap. It's very hard to imagine what that looked like. This was the time, it says, uh, uh, of the season that the Jordan overflowed its banks. So extra, lots and lots of extra water. And they're well below sea level, and who, who knows? I, I, it's hard for me to imagine. It's a little easier for me to imagine the, um, the Red Sea walls on, of water on each side, it says, but just it stood, the water stood up in a heap. Did it stop flowing? Did it sort of just tunnel under them? Did it, did, did it um, exactly what did you, did it keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as all these you know, thousands and thousands of people are taking the time to walk across? I don't really know exactly what it, but the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that holds the law of God is what protects the people from being washed away. Think about that. I'm going to need to do a little more thinking about that. That the law, the thing that held the law, is the thing that kept the people from being washed away. Now, you will hear me say a million times, I hope, uh, as your rector, that we are saved by grace and not by works of the law. The law can't save us. It can't create the thing it describes. We've talked about this when we talked about the Ten Commandments. The law describes a beautiful life. But, and I, I struggle with how to articulate this, a life of obedience is a life of freedom. It's not what saves you. Don't get me wrong. But a life of obedience is the thing that saves you. So again, devotionally at least, when you live out according to the ways that God wants you to live, it keeps you from being washed away. It allows you to stand on firm ground. Uh, it's not what saves you. Grace is what saves you. You're not going to do it perfectly. But because we love the Lord, we want to honor Him and please Him. It's not a chore. It's not a law. It's not a duty, a burden. It is a response to His awesome, amazing grace. But life lived the way God wants us to is the best life. It just is. So they make it across, and we don't have any battles until chapter 6. But chapters 4 and 5, I mean, it's interesting that the author of Joshua takes a lot of time to talk about what happened once the people got across the river. The first thing they did is they got these stones. The 12 guys went over where, by the Ark of the Covenant. The people were kind of way downstream, about a half mile downstream where they, they crossed. But the, the 12 guys went and got stones from right around where the Ark was, and they stood them up. 
Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's what, that's what, this is stones of remembrance, an Ebenezer. Let me read uh, chapter 4, verse, starting with verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Now think about this second generation going, this has been weird, I've been out in the desert, I know God's done amazing things, but how do we know that He's with us? How do we know He's going to be faithful? Just as the Lord parted the waters of the Red Sea, so He parted the waters of the Jordan for this people. And they would have said, oh, that's how we know which He dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So these stones have remembered. So the first thing they're doing is setting up a way to remember God's faithfulness. How do we, what are some things that we have just set up liturgically or traditionally to remember God's faithfulness. The bread and wine, the sacraments, yeah. Today, in just a few minutes, we'll have a, a baptism, right? The cross, hanging right over the altar. The altar is not a, sto- not a, not a marble stone altar of, of sacrifice, but it's a wooden table of, of remembrance. But, it's, but the cross is, is there to remind us I mean, this is an instrument of torture, right? It would have been so offensive if somebody was walking around uh, in, you know, with, a, with a little silver cross on their neck in the Roman times. That would have been so offensive. Like you walking around with a little electric chair hanging around your neck. <laughs> but for us, it is a, it is a, uh, a, though it is an instrument of, of torture, it is also the instrument of our, our redemption. It reminds us of God's faithfulness to us. I know. I knew a guy. Again, another weird story. The guy who was he had just he had, had a dramatic conversion. Somebody had given him a cross. He's wearing this little gold cross or something like that. And and, and but he gets away from it. You know, he just he kind of slides back into his old own life. And he, he's kind of sitting on his couch, just totally depressed. And the, and the, he's like, "What do I do?" And the cross just falls off his neck into his lap. And he picked it up, and as best I can remember the story, I know this sounds a little crazy, but was it the chain wasn't broken? It was the chain was still clasped, or or it was the chain was around? I think it was, the chain was still around his neck, and the cross it didn't it didn't break. It just it just fell off. <laughs> I don't know. It just happened. I don't know how it happened, but anyway, it was just a reminder, a miraculous really, a reminder um, of. God's faithfulness. We can go through lots, lots of things. But it is important to note that the first thing they did was set up a reminder that they could tell all the generations. When your kids ask, what are these stones for? This is where God led us across into the promised land. The second thing they do is that they circumcise the second generation. Now, <laughs> you think, what? But this is this was the covenant sign. This was how God, I, we've, I think we talked about it, we covered it, it's messy, it's bloody, it's strange, it's intimate, private. This is the covenant. And this is how God says, these are my people. 
circumcision. And, and so he has them all circumcised. The first generation, they've been circumcised, but the second generation, they hadn't been circumcised, so he has them circumcised. And then he gives them a couple days off. <laughs> it's probably a nice thing. Uh, a little healing time. But I wonder why, as part of the consecration of consecrating themselves before they come in, why didn't they circumcise before they crossed the, the river? The covenant hadn't been fulfilled? You say the covenant hadn't been fulfilled, but God is saying, why didn't God say, before you go into the promised land, you need to make yourselves ritually clean and pure. Circumcise yourselves, and then you can come in. Why, why, why wouldn't God... Make that happen first. That's a condition. That's a, that puts a condition, right? So he allows them to come in, and then their covenant sign is given as a response. What a picture of grace. Come in just as you are. God loves you too much to leave you where you are, but come in to my place just as you are. He also reminded them of his power. Reminded of his power? In their lifetime, parting those waters. Yes. And that he can do anything. He can do anything. And um, it, including demand circumcision. Right? So that's... Um, so Jesus gives us salvation. Um, or God welcomes us just as we are. Loves us too much to leave us there. God, uh, Jesus gives us salvation, but it is returning to that salvation that we're sanctified. So it's, in, it's not in our... Making sure that we have everything in order... Uh, take the, our sacraments when we're baptized. We're, it's not checking off all the lists. It's in returning to God's grace that we're cleansed. So it wasn't the circumcision that, that cleansed them. It was a symbol, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace that God had cleansed them. But it's wonderful that we're not to be sanctified prior to coming to Jesus. And they weren't to be sanctified prior to coming into the promised land. It's a great picture. Then, do they go in battle? No. They celebrate the Passover. We remember again God's faithfulness. And they do the lamb and they and they and they have the, the they clean their houses and make get all the yeast out and everything and they have they remember that God is the one who brought them up out of Egypt. They worship. So they remember, they worship, they set themselves apart. And then what happens is this, the manna ceases. And they begin to eat off the land. And the commander of the Lord's army shows up and appears to Joshua. And Joshua has this... He, I mean, you can imagine. That would be scary, right? He's the, he's, his sword is drawn. And he, he looks like a man, but he, there's something sort of celestial about him. And Joshua says, Are you for us or for our enemies? And what does the commander of the Lord's army say? No. <laughs> he says, no. I'm not for either. He doesn't say, oh, I'm for you or, or I'm for them. or I'm, I'm on the Lord's side. I, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Remember, I will be with you. That's what he said to Joshua. I will be with you. And here he is. I mean, we can take this as not just one of, um, I mean, I think, I mean, he bows down and worships. I mean, I think this is, this is the Lord. There's not a lot of separation 
uh, between who this is and who God is, is there's this is he's here. Um, he's on his own side. Really interesting. And then they go to battle, right? Not exactly. Because they have to go to Jericho. That's the first. They got to get past Jericho if they're going to go in. Jericho is maybe the oldest city in the world at that point and at this point. And um, it's it's kind of it's interesting. I mean, we, there's been a lot of archaeological evidence uh, for the city of Jer- a lot of archaeological excavation for Jericho, and it is hotly debated whether or not we have evidence of this event. Uh, through archaeological evidence, but uh, some say we do, some say we don't. As you can, as most things, right? Jo- I remember growing up singing, and you can probably sing it with me, right? Joshua fought the bad love Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the bad love Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And I forever thought it said Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. I don't know where, where that came from. Joshua fit the battle. Why did he fit the battle? Is that what it was? So I was, I'm, I was right. I always thought it was crazy. I thought you would laugh at me. Um, the, um, so he, he did fit the battle um, of Jericho, but actually he didn't, right? Because all he did was walk around the city. He was obedient. I can, can you imagine God says to Joshua, alright, it's time to go get Jericho. Walk around it. And then walk around it again, and walk around it again, and then um, walk around it again, and then walk around it again, and then again, and then walk around it seven times, and then blow the trumpets and shout, and I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> so, not only is Joshua going, wait, you want me to do what? Now Joshua got to go tell like forty thousand people, the warriors, um, just keep keep your swords in your sheaths. And we're just going to walk around and blow horns. <laughs> Don't say anything. I'll tell you when to shout. And that'll be uh, a week from today. They would have gone crazy, I, th- I think. But he was God's man. They did what he were told. Joshua didn't fight the battle of Jericho. God did. The wall did come tumbling down. And, um, and they moved on into the promised land. They did save Rahab and her family. They, they had to wipe out everybody else. Um, I think it's important to talk about, and it will. It's important to talk about sort of mass destruction, but it's very clear from Scripture that God is using the Israelites uh, as judgment against the sin of the people in the land. So God is judging their sin, but you and I will never be commanded ever to take anyone's life. Um, as judgment of the Lord because all the judgment has been given, visited upon Christ. And the people never got to decide who they were going to fight. God always told them. This was always God's prerogative. He was judging sin, but now sin's all been judged on the cross. So that's how I understand that as a very surface level, cursory view of that. The important thing about Jericho is that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so when you're facing whatever it is, whatever battles you have, whatever fearsome thing, whatever Jericho that you're facing, whatever um, citadel seems shut up against you and you can't get in, 
The battle belongs to the Lord. Now, I don't know what if he's going to just tell you to walk around, keep walking around it. But yeah, I just can tell you one thing. You can pray around it. Whatever that thing is. And eventually, in some way, God's going to bring the walls down. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. He may get you to keep on walking and just leave that thing behind. Or he, um, but the walls fall flat because they obey the Lord's command. So there's obedience and there's faith. And it's very strange. And they don't pull out their swords until God has really already done the work. So, but actually, somebody disobeys. You know this part. You read on into chapter 7. And the people, um, uh, a couple of the people, instead of, um, instead of uh, giving all the loot to the temple, which is what they were supposed to do this time, they hid it for themselves. And did they win the next battle? No. It's, it's all about faithfulness. right? And continually the people, in some regard, show that they are unfaithful and God is faithful. <laughs> They're unfaithful, God is faithful, over and over again. So that's really these chapters. Next week, let's take a look and see what we're doing next week. Uh, let's see, so Judges, we're into Judges 20, so 26 and 27. Uh, judges 2 through Judges 5 next week. Um, we'll see again the people they just, they just wander from the Lord what does the Lord do about it he even remains faithful always which is such good news for you and me that when we wander for the Lord the Lord remains faithful and we can always come back uh, and I can I mean should we should come back but he will always receive us why is that because the judgment has already been meted out on the cross I have to go prepare a couple of families for baptism uh, you can talk amongst us. Ask Sarah Rich any questions that you like. She'll be happy to, happy to answer them for you. So, God bless you, and we will uh, see you in church. <laughs>